Well, good morning, everybody. I am Savannah Dykstra. My husband and I recently joined church here at Fellowship Pellissippi, um, and I actually work for an organization called Cedarbrook Outreach. So Cedarbrook Outreach, we've been partners for a little bit. Noah has been absolutely awesome. Um, we've partnered a lot with our Friday food truck in one of our at-risk communities um, in our Cedarbrook community. But a little bit about Cedarbrook Outreach. We reach at-risk children and families with compassion, truth, and hope. And we know that only compassion, truth, and hope comes from Jesus Christ. And so um, I want to share a little bit of statistics in case he asked me to share a little bit of statistics of the at-risk in our community. And so within this Cedarbrook um, community, we have over 81,000 people that live in our community. And of that 81,000 people, this blew my mind that 90% of people don't have a church affiliation. And that's in the Bible Belt. That is here in the South. There's no church affiliation. They don't even say, oh, yes, I go to so-and-so church on Easter or on Christmas. And we know at Cedarbrook, anybody that is at risk is anybody who doesn't know the Lord, let alone somebody that doesn't go to church. Um, and with that, um, there are, in our community, there's 42% renters. With that, there is 26% of our adult population, they do not have a high school education, which leads a lot to impoverished communities. And with that, 10,000, there's 10,000 single moms or female-headed households in our community right here where we live. Um, and one of the other things that is it's shocking to me that we live in the two largest food deserts here in our community. And what that means is a food desert is determined within the city is any location that does not have public transit that is more than a mile away from a grocery store. And so with that, um, our communities are actually three miles away from a grocery store, and that is um, based on people to cars ratio. So it is Difficult. Something as simple as going to the grocery store we take for granted, but for our community is something that our children and our parents struggle with in our community. So we are in predominantly two neighborhoods. Cedarbrook is currently Nature's Cove, which we've partnered with right here in our community. Our kids actually come to Carnes High School, Carnes Middle School um, right here. And so I personally am so grateful that we've had this space for so long. So and your fellowship helps to be, you all have been prepping this community for our kids, our at-risk children to come. And um, I know that they're walking into a building that is prayed for. Um, and so with our Cedarbrook community, we have um, several different um, programs. And you all are more than welcome to volunteer. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk with you all about it. But one of ours that we already partner with is Friday Food Trucks. And with this Friday Food Trucks, um, it is something simple as you can hand a loaf of bread um, to one of our communities, as well as we have people praying over our, over our community. There's so many people that say, you know, oh, I'm scared to pray with somebody, and you know, that's not my gift. But I, when I tell you our community is hungry for somebody to know what their burdens are and somebody to pray for them, they're more than ready. They want people to come and care about them. And so 
I'm super grateful for our partnership that you all are in our community building relationships. I absolutely love to see you guys. So that's Fridays, 1030 to 1130. Noah's talked about it several times. But outside of that, we have a Wednesday night mentorship outreach for our children. Um, we have a Fine Arts Academy for children, no matter their economic status. Um, but we scholarship our at-risk children to that as well. Um, we have a summer reading and feeding program that we are going to be church partnering with you all, where you just simply come, you eat with the child and then you read with them for 20 minutes because we know the summer slide um, I would say all of our children are behind in reading levels if not significantly several grade levels there's several children that are in the third and fourth grade and don't can't even read a cat in the hat so we would love for you guys to come out and volunteer with us um, as well um, we we have prayer cards. So if you guys would like to pray specifically for one of our children, just come and see me. Um, I'm doing our prayer focus of the at-risk and bringing a little bit, um, shedding a little bit of light on what at-risk looks like and, and these statistics right here in our community. So if you'd like to pray specifically for one of our children, let me know after this. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pray for at-risk and, and join me in this. Dear Jesus, we know that Anybody that does not know you is considered at risk. Um, but I pray right now for our impoverished community, God. There is emotional abuse, there's mental abuse, there's physical abuse happening. And I just pray right now over each and every single one um, in our community that they will know that they are loved by our King and by our Savior that there's no hope outside of you, God. I thank you for each and every one in this room. I thank you, I thank you for loving us. And I pray um, that as we go forward, that you will just continue to guide us um, in what to say to our at-risk community, to guide us in, in integrating our lives together, God. I pray for the single mothers in our community, God. Let them know that they are not alone, that there is hope, that there is strength, and that strength is only found in you, God. And I pray um, that as you move, that we will be sensitive to your spirit, God. I pray that we will slow down in our weeks. I pray that you will slow down in the moments. And that we will not worry as a song that we just sang, God. Because we know that you hold everything in your hand, God. But I pray that you will continue to soften our hearts for our at-risk community um, and for these children, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm also going to be doing our reading today. So it's going to be Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. That is, during the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to him. I had never been in his presence. So the king said to me, why do you look so sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. But I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when my ancestors are buried in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then the king said to me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of heavens and answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the cities where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king, with the queen seated beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. 
I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that we will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And then, and let me have a letter written to Anisif, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple fortress, the city wall, and the home where I live. The king granted my request, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Savannah. And thanks so much for that time of prayer and update about folks in our city. And thank you for being a church who is engaged in that way. If you're uh, new uh, or a guest, uh, my name is Brad. It's my privilege to be one of the pastors here at this church. Glad that you could join us today. If you are relatively new, we are working through uh, the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to get there in just a second. But before we get there, I want to make just a couple of quick comments. If you weren't here this past Sunday... Uh, you might have missed what we call React Sunday, but saw all of the booths set up out in the lobby. React is something we do a couple of times a year, and we try to make it easy for people to get involved in the life of our church, to plug into community and discipleship, which every one of us need, not just for ourselves, but God has gifted us and given us a purpose for how we're involved in the discipleship, care, love, and growth of others, uh, and also opportunities to serve, both to serve the body which is part of the call of Christians, uh, but also to serve in our community. So uh, Noah, some of our team will be out there, and you can find your place as well. Also, next Sunday, uh, me and some of our elders will give a bit of an update about uh, some of the progress at our new facility. And we're excited. Uh, lots of demo has been, doing, has been done. Construction is beginning this week. Uh, renovating uh, lobby space, making it more expansive for us, uh, uh, really redoing all of the children's ministry spaces, adding a new entrance. So a lot of things are happening. And uh, with that, uh, another significant piece of the puzzle we're going to bring to you guys next Sunday. So make sure you're here for that. Tune in. Also, if you're watching with us online, we want you to know this is, you don't just kind of sit until uh, you're back here. We want you to be engaged. And so uh, on the screen, there is a slide that you can text. And there are three or four different ways you can participate with us in our mission virtually. We're going to be launching a a short-term online life group. Love for you to participate in that. Ways for you to serve uh, and even prepare to re-engage with us in person in the weeks ahead. So if you would uh, chime in, we would love that. Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you haven't been here, let me give you a 30-second recap. And eventually I cannot give all the recaps. You're going to have to go back and watch the sermon, so the sermons will be two hours long which you guys don't want that. But in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is deeply burdened for two primary reasons. Number one, the plight of his people, his ancestors. Thousands of exiles over the last 90 years have been moving from Babylon, where they had been in captivity, back to their home in Jerusalem. And they had found the city in ruins, and they had not been able in nearly a century to begin to rebuild. They had failed and failed and failed, and there was deep shame and disgrace and threat to that community. But not only is he burdened for that, but Nehemiah is deeply, deeply committed to God's glory. This is not just a mere pragmatic thing about the condition of the people. This is not just about hurting people hurting, which uh, all of us can feel the pain of that's important. He understands that God's glory is at stake here. Like this is bringing shame on the name of the Lord, and he wants to see the name of the Lord revered and respected, and it is, it is deeply broken him to the point where he literally is in mourning for four 
months. And he prays and he's, he's asking God to do something. And when you get to chapter 2, we get to see Nehemiah do something. So for the first few weeks, we spent time talking about how grief and mourning and lament and the spiritual work of the heart, of the heart is important. And we can't skip over that. We've got to lean into that. And I know some of you are ready because eventually there needs to be action. There eventually begins to uh, be forward progress. And chapter 2 begins to show us this extraordinary journey that Nehemiah is going to get to do something about his burden. And so if I could kind of bring into focus what chapter 2 shows us, it shows us that Nehemiah could see what should be. What I mean by that is Nehemiah could see that the, the, the ruin of Jerusalem and the plight of the people shouldn't be. That they should be able to thrive and live and love and flourish with one another. That the city walls should be able to be restored. That the temple needed to be brought back into the central place of his people. He saw and believed that, that should be. There was a sense of just and righteousness to what Nehemiah could see about the situation. But he also deeply believed that what should be, like how God's design and order and purposes should be played out, that they could be. That there was something that could be done. That there was deep conviction for Nehemiah not to merely feel something, not to just have empathy, but to actually want to take steps of action. Nehemiah's conviction was so deep that he, even though he was sitting in a royal palace with a prominent, well-paying job, living a life of relative ease, he was willing to forsake all of his comfort, to forsake all of his prominence and all of his privileges, and actually leave the throne and the palace there in Persia travel 900 miles to a people and a city in ruin and disarray. And there, invite people into a story of redemption and restoration and rebuilding. Now, are you seeing what I'm trying to lay down right here? Nehemiah is not merely a story that inspires us with great leadership, insights, doesn't just give us tools to handle oppression or criticism. Nehemiah is principally a gospel story. It is a story in the Old Testament that is showing us and giving us all the symbols of the gospel story of how Jesus comes to redeem and restore his people. This is a story that you and I have been invited into. So as we work through Nehemiah, I want us to see more than just practical principles of Christian living and leadership. I want us to see the bigger picture. I want us to make sure that we see what God is up to. What God is up to in the life of Nehemiah and how he works amongst his people to restore Jerusalem and to bring about peace and to bring about uh, worship for the Lord. But I also want us to see in this story how God is working in you and our lives. God is at work to redeem, restore, and rebuild us. But I want us to see an even bigger picture than that. God is at work to redeem, restore, and rebuild us so that you and I can be the instruments of his grace and others. God wants to invite you into his work of redemption. God wants to invite you and me into the purpose of rebuilding and restoring those around us. Like God has something for you. 
God has something for me. Our lives are not merely meant to be these kind of treadmill exercises of get up, go to work, knock off our to-do list, go to bed, and repeat. Like, God has purpose for us. God has a role for us to play in what he is doing. The creator of the universe wants you involved in the story that he's writing, and that's what we see in Nehemiah. That's, that's the grander, larger picture. We see God at work, and he's using Nehemiah for his glory. So here's the invitation today. In light of chapter 1, in light of what we're about to see in these opening verses, God, would you burden our hearts for what breaks your heart? Would we pray something like this? Jesus, show us brokenness. Show us injustice. Show us lostness. And Lord, move us into those spaces. Lord, disrupt us and awake us from the status quo. Lord, disentangle us from the cares of this world and our selfish desires for our own comfort and our own preferences to always reign supreme, but rather, Lord, awaken our hearts, disentangle us for what you want to be done. Lord, would you give us vision to see that what should be could be? And would you show us how to partner with the Holy Spirit and the people of God, the bride of Christ, his church, for the good of kingdom work. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the prayer today. That's the point of Nehemiah chapter 2. So if this is a story, it's primarily about, about God's goodness, his grace, his redemptive work in the lives of people and how he uses us to enter into broken situations to redeem, restore, and rebuild, if that's primarily what this is about, how do you and I get in? How do we get in on that? And it's okay, the ping pong ball will finish rolling, and there it is. <laughs> Forrest Gump is amongst us. Look with me in chapter 2, verse number 1. During the month of Nisan, Nisan is the first month in the Jewish calendar, and for our Roman calendars, that would be somewhere around March, April, so this is the springtime. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king... And I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why do you look so sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah says, I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Now there's two things happening simultaneously. Let me give us just a little bit of cultural context to life in Persia and life for Nehemiah. Nehemiah is both deeply burdened. He's got this burden. The people of Jerusalem, it's in ruins, and he wants to see something happen about that, and he's been grieved for four months about that. Simultaneously, his job is to serve the king. He's got to clock in in the day. He's got to set that aside, and there is an expectation that as the cupbearer for the king of Persia, that he does nothing to upset or frustrate him. Matter of fact, if Nehemiah doesn't do his job well, there's no severance pay. There's no let's work this out with HR. There is, all right, got that? So that's going on. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let King live forever is Nehemiah realizing, okay, I, I, this, is a, this is a challenging moment. But Nehemiah can't help what's going on inside of him. It's bigger than that moment. And so Nehemiah says, why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed with fire? 
This burden is real. This is not a passing moment. This was not a church service that got Nehemiah emotionally charged up, and then by the Monday afternoon, he was back to doing whatever. He is deeply moved for what God is doing. And he says, how can I not be sad? And then watch this. Watch what verse 4 says. So the king asked me, what is your request? Think about that. The king of Persia here is the most powerful man in the world, is the most powerful man Nehemiah will ever know. And Nehemiah is asked by him, what do you want, Nehemiah? Apparently, a little backstory here, this is reading into the text, it doesn't say this, but we can draw this inference. Nehemiah has been a faithful witness of character in the king's presence. He has served in such a way and he is honored in such a way that when there was something wrong with him, this king, who has really no motivation to care anything about what Nehemiah does, says, Nehemiah, what do you want? What I want us to see here in how God works to bring about his kingdom work is God provides us with divine opportunities. God provided Nehemiah with a divine opportunity, and God oftentimes sets divine opportunities in front of you and me for his kingdom work. You see, when the sovereign hand of God is at work, he will bring about these moments to accomplish his redemptive story that he's writing. Now, sometimes we miss these divine opportunities because we're not looking for them. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in whatever it is we're doing, God is orchestrating things and we're missing it. But oftentimes we also miss these moments because we're looking for fireworks to go off in the heavens, a light to shine, and an angel to sing to us and say, Brad, this is the work I've established for you. May you walk in it. But more often than not, the divine opportunities that God arranges for us are very ordinary and they're right in front of our face. They are oftentimes a student in your classroom, a neighbor down the street who's going through a difficult time, a coworker in the cubicle next to you or in the Zoom frame up in the right-hand corner these days. They're oftentimes uh, a something very ordinary. I want you to consider the vast majority of Jesus' ministry. You read through the Gospels, the overwhelming vast majority of Jesus' ministry didn't take place in grand moments with grand stages. The vast majority of Jesus' ministry was a conversation with one of his disciples on the way to town. It was coming across a woman who was wearing deep cultural shame at a well in Jesus doing the unthinkable and talking to her and treating her with dignity and inviting her into a grander story. It was Jesus coming in contact with a blind and a poor man and actually being able to do something about his plight in the street. It's Jesus walking by a man named Levi, sometimes also known as Matthew. He's sitting in a tax office, and he invites Matthew into a better life. It wasn't grand. It was simple invitations. It was simple moments. More often than not, get this, ministry, like the Lord's kingdom work, doesn't happen on a grand stage or in a grand moment or when cameras are rolling. It happens when we have a towel and an opportunity to serve. And this is how God works more often than not. Think about this moment. The king says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what do you want? When Nehemiah was presented with this opportunity, he leverages it for the work of God. 
He leverages it for the work of God. It's a divine opportunity. So when divine opportunities present ourselves, how do we respond to that? Pay attention to this, verse number four. So the king asked me, what is your request? And look at Nehemiah's immediate, almost involuntary response. So I prayed to the God of the heavens. Now, if you're here for chapter one, you saw what Nehemiah's prayer looks like. It was grand. It was significant. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a big moment. But this prayer is what one of my former pastors called an arrow prayers. And it shows us that Nehemiah, the work Nehemiah was going to do, was absolutely dependent upon prayer. Not only is there a divine opportunity that God orchestrates, but there is the absolute dependence upon prayer for this work. And one of the things I love most about this prayer, and one of the things about this prayer, this short prayer, is how instructive it is to us. Nehemiah doesn't have time to quote the Beatitudes in this moment. He doesn't have time to get his journal out and to process some things. He doesn't have time to call a friend and say, there's this situation, and I'm trying to process it. Help me work through this. He has a moment, and he sends kind of a text message prayer. You ever have these moments where, like, you don't have time for a big, long soliloquy. You just have time for, a Lord, I need your help. Maybe you're working something with your kids, and it's really challenging, and you really need God to speak to them because you know they ain't listening to you. And so you have one of those, Lord, I need you to do something here. A difficult moment at work, a challenge where you got to have an uncomfortable conversation with a coworker or an employee or your boss. Lord, I need you now. Maybe you're walking into a space and somebody that you're about to encounter is experiencing deep pain, deep loss. They're confused. And, they're, and, and you know they're going to look to you for some level of comfort, and you feel totally inadequate in that moment, and you just pray, Lord, I need you to show up in this space. Or better yet, well, not better yet, but at least equal to, maybe there's a friend, a coworker, somebody the Lord has put in your life, and, and you've been praying for opportunities to have gospel conversations with them to introduce them to the life-saving good news of Jesus. And you know that you don't have the crafty words, you don't have the persuasive, you probably don't even have all the answers to their questions, and you just pray, Lord, you have got to move in this moment. Those are arrow prayers. These are moments. That, also, don't miss this though, this, though. We see it in chapter one, we see it in chapter two. Let me give you a little foreshadowing. We're gonna see it 10 more times before we're done with this book. Nehemiah, something happens there's a moment, there's an opportunity, there's a crisis. Nehemiah immediately prays. Nehemiah understood prayer to be the front-end tool in his spiritual ar uh, arsenal, not his last resort. Everything hasn't worked out, so let us pray. Prayer, we are so dependent upon us. Ma matter of fact, if God puts something into our life, or if we find some way in which we want to serve, and it does not require us to pray, and it does not require us to involve God, and if we don't really need God, we can just kind of manage it on our own, it's really small. It's really a small trifle. God's inviting us into a life that we cannot orchestrate on our own, that we are absolutely dependent upon him to partner with us, to support us, to guide us, to give us all the things that we don't have. That's Nehemiah's situation here. Was the action Nehemiah about to take important? Absolutely. But one of the things that we see in this story is it is not really Nehemiah doing the work. 
It is the God of heaven who is doing the work, and Nehemiah is his servant and is his instrument of grace to make it happen. In other words, Nehemiah is not the carpenter, he is the hammer. Nehemiah is is not the engineer, he is the product, he is the tool being used to advance God's kingdom. You and I, we are not the carpenter, we're not the engineer, we're not the designers, we are simply to be the tools in the hands of the one who made heaven and earth. And let me tell you, you and I as a tool in the hands of the God of heavens is greater than you and I as the CEO of anything that we choose to do on our own. That's the story. That's the bigness of what's happening in Nehemiah, and that's what you and I are being called into. So if you want to get involved in what God is doing, we've got to pray. We've got to pray because we're going to need his power. We're going to need the, the air of the Holy Spirit in our lungs to advance God's kingdom. So after prayer, there's something else, and we see it in these next verses. So Nehemiah answers the king, and here's his answer. Here's Nehemiah's answer to what he want from me. And I want us to read this, and I want you to imagine, um, I want you to imagine that you and I are... um, the clerks at a Exxon, all right? So we sell people candy bars and take their money for their gas. And somehow or another, the chief executive officer for Exxon, who I think probably makes around $100 million, which statistically is around $100 million more than I make, like when you just think about the probability of it, happens to be traveling through, and he stops in at your Exxon, and you're clerking, and he says, hey, I've got the entire company's resources at my hands. What do you want? And you say, I want to absolutely restructure everything you're doing, and I know you decided to end this entire wing of the company. I want us to open that wing up, and I need you to give me $50 million to rebuild this branch of the company. Like, we know how silly that is, right? We know how laughable that is. You know, we understand that what he means is, is you want me to write some thank you notes to your coworkers? You don't want $2 an hour more for your job? Like, do you, you, want, an extra, you want an extra week's vacation? That's kind of how we understand that framework. What Nehemiah is about to ask this king for is, is extraordinary. Because he's getting ready to ask the king of Persia, for all of these things that are of no benefit to the king of Persia and that are absolutely of benefit to Jerusalem and this disparaged little group of exiles. And I'll show you why big that deal that is in just a moment. Here's what he says. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah. By the way, I want you to, I'm trusted, we've got a rapport, and I want you to find a replacement for my job, and then I want you to send me to Judah 900 miles away, into the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. Now, a quick little insight here. Uh, Most of us wouldn't know this. Nehemiah is also being pretty wise in this moment. What would this king of Persia, what would bend his heart? He cared a lot about the idea of his ancestors and legacy. And Nehemiah is playing to that. Nehemiah is understanding how to be savvy in the moment, too. And he says, I want you to help me. So the king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? Because I want you back. 
So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. And I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River. Read that as modern passport. And they will grant, so they'll grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a written letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates uh, of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I live. Read that as, I need everything that your Home Depot has for free. And the king granted my request for the gracious hand of my God was on me. So let's not miss this. Involvement in God's kingdom work took determined action upon Nehemiah's part. Nehemiah was prepared for the moment. And listen, I've said this, I just want to repeat it one more time. This is the great mystery of the kingdom of God, is that he would choose you and me to be the instruments of his work for his glory. Do not read Nehemiah as Mozart, LeBron James, or Bill Gates. Nehemiah was a man who got picked to be the cupbearer. He was in the moment, and he just opened his heart and his hands to what the Lord would have him to do, and God used him. So this means, you and me, we need to not only believe something, to feel something, but we've got to be willing to do something. Now I want to kind of conclude with saying a few hard words, so let's kind of prepare for it, okay? This is hard for me to type, because this is not just about you, it's not just about others outside the walls, this is about me. But there is a bit too much complaining, gossiping, and whining amongst the people of God about this and that, about this being wrong, about that being wrong, about the world going to hell in a handbasket, whatever that expression means, about how this ought to be different, about how that ought to be different. There's way too much talk and not enough hands getting dirty. As the old country music song said, a little less talk, Thank you, Yama people. Been listening to Wivik. Lot too, too much posting on the internet. Not enough giving, doing, and being in the streets. Modern Nehemiah might have posted on his Facebook account. Those people need to get their act together. He might have referred to the exiles who had failed to get Jerusalem back on its feet as them. Because they were poor and they were living in dysfunction. Those people need to get their act together. Instead, he volunteered to get his hands dirty. And as we'll see in the next couple weeks, that meant him facing slander, criticism, and constantly being misunderstood. Which is always the burden of leadership. So why in the world would Nehemiah do this? Verse 8 helps us, and we'll wrap up with this. The king granted my requests for the gracious hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah did this. He took this action. He took these steps because principally this wasn't about him. And the success was not on his shoulders. The burden of making this come to fruition wasn't his. It was on the hand of his God to do the work. Nehemiah understood this principle that his job was to be obedient to how God had called him to act and to leave the consequences of said obedience to God alone. That's what it means to walk and live by faith. Get this. Nehemiah didn't need to know the outcome. He just needed to know that his heavenly father was with him. 
I want you to substitute your name in there today. You don't need to know the outcome. You don't need to figure out all the end game to whatever it is God is working in your life to do. You just need to know that your heavenly Father will walk through you th- with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And so you don't have to fear. You don't have to try to manipulate success. And you don't have to try to knock all the walls down yourself. If the Lord is at work, he's going to bring about his purposes. And sometimes success will mean years and years and years of work and positioning one generation to bring about God's glory. And sometimes in 51 days, you rebuild walls. And none of that is up to you and me. That's all in the hands of our sovereign Lord. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. I want us to spend some time this week thinking about this. Where is God opening doors of opportunity for you to be on mission with him? Here's some ways to answer that question. What are the needs you can help meet? Where can you be an influence for Jesus? Who are the people in your sphere of influence, in your grid, in your, in your circle, in your tribe, who need someone to love them, to encourage them, to care for them, to speak truth to them? Is there a righteous cause the Lord has given you a burden from? One that you can't fully explain, one that gripped you maybe when you were young, maybe recently. Maybe it's not happening. You're just praying for that burden that you just feel like, I just, this just shouldn't be. We've got to find a way to bring about God's goodness to this. Maybe adoption and foster care. Maybe uh, you see the issues of racial injustice and you want to do something about that. You want to be a bridge builder for reconciliation and unity. Maybe you, God has put a unique heart on your life for the poor and marginalized. And God may direct some of you for that to be in an urban kind of reality and you want to find kind of the inner city and the Lord may, because of how he shaped you and where you grew up, say, no, I want you to do that in kind of rural America. I want you to go to the footsteps of Appalachia. What is your burden? And it doesn't have to be a grand going 900 miles to rebuild Jerusalem. It might just be that there is a lonely elderly person in your street down the road from you. And God says, I want you to be a source of community and vibrancy and presence in their life. It may be that there's a handful of kids who need someone to tell them the gospel of Jesus on Sundays. And the Lord would say, you know what? You might not be awesome at that, but you can do it. I'm going to help you do it. Maybe the Lord would send somebody into your work sphere, into your company, whose family has experienced all sorts of hardship. And the Lord would put you there to do more than just say, I'm sorry at the office, though that's wonderful and good but to even maybe invite them into your home, to take them to dinner, to go watch a movie with them, to just text them on a regular basis. Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. Like the Lord can use the smallest opportunities and the smallest steps of obedience to bring about the most extraordinary movement of good and gospel change and life in your neighborhoods, in your homes, and in your communities. Because he's the mighty God of heaven. And he's chosen to use us. So what step will you take this week to join God? Would you pray? Would you pray and say, Lord, put a burden on my heart. Show me where you're working and how you can have me join in that. And then pick up a towel. 
take a step of servants, be obedient, and leave all the consequences of that obedience to God. Whether it's in London, whether it's in Corinth or Oak Ridge, at Men Villa, wherever it is, the Lord has placed you. If you're there, it means the Spirit of God is there and He's at work for His kingdom. Let's join Him. Amen? Let me pray for this in. Father, I come to you today. We don't understand it. But Lord, it's been the story for ages. You use shepherds, you use musicians, you use carpenters, you use fishermen. You use women who make fine linens. You use all sorts of people for your purposes. And the only condition is that we would be open-handed and open-hearted to serve you, to be obedient, to follow you. So, Lord, give us courage today. Give us courage not to accomplish some great feat, but rather just to take a step of obedience into what you're calling us towards. And give us faith to trust that you are with us, you are in us, and you are for us, for your glory and your renown. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. If you're a guest, you're new, or the Lord is working you in some way and you need to talk, I'll be out here until everybody's gone. Love to hang out with you today. God bless. We'll see you soon.